Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Homecoming, a podcast that provides the space for people who identify as Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islander to share their stories, experiences, and insights about a variety of different topics. I'm your host, Angel Rena, and thanks for tuning in to episode 18. So you guys probably have noticed that every week, I begin every episode of Homecoming with saying that this podcast features AAPI folks. But to be frank, you probably have also noticed that I haven't had any Pacific Islander guests on the podcast yet, um, even though they supposedly represent half of the phrase and the group of people that I'm trying to uplift. And I really wanted to call myself out on that and also apologize for that. And to provide some background, so the decision for homecoming to feature AAPI folks instead of just Asian American folks was a collective one with my previous co-host. But to be quite honest, I have been pretty wary of the term AAPI for a while now because I admit that I didn't fully know or understand the history behind that term. And I've also often found that organizations that tend to state that they're all for supporting or featuring AAPIs tend to be only or majority for Asian Americans rather than Pacific Islanders. And ultimately, I decided that if I did end up saying that homecoming was going to be a space for Asians, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, then I needed to follow up on that and actually be intentional about including Pacific Islander voices on the podcast, um, which I haven't done. So again, I am really sorry about that. And I want to apologize. Um, And another really honest thing that I'm going to say is that I am still thinking about whether it really is my place. And if I really like deserve to say that this podcast uplifts Pacific Islanders as well, because I I just don't feel like I'm doing enough justice for all of the amazing Pacific Islander people, cultures, uh, stories, activists, etc. by not giving them my full attention and effort on this podcast. So I will update you all on that and my thoughts on that in the near future um, once I do some more uh, evaluating and reevaluating. Um. But one of the main resources or moments that really made me reevaluate this use of the term AAPI or APIA, which is basically the same thing, um, Asian Pacific Islander American, was this article called Dear Asian Americans, Stop Erasing Pacific Islanders, written by Conrad Lihilihi that I read last winter as a part of one of our um, Yale Asian American Cultural Center staff meetings. And as a staff, We read the article and discussed it, and it for sure made me think more deeply about the differences between Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders and how the lumping together of the two large groups could be problematic in a lot of ways. And I also realized that probably many uh, people out there don't even know which countries and groups of people 
Pacific Islanders, which is a broad term in and of itself, consists of, you know, there's Micronesia, Melanesia, Polynesia, and within those subgroups, like even more countries and cultures. So I decided to reach out to Conrad to see if he'd be interested in being a guest on Homecoming. And I found out that he's also this extremely talented filmmaker um, and visual storyteller. So today in this episode with Conrad, we'll be talking about not only his article and the pros and cons of the term AAPI, but also his background, his work, and a current project, a docuseries that he has been working on. So Conrad, hello. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. I'm so honored to have you on the podcast. Um, First, how are you and how has quarantine been for you? Thank you for having me. Uh, This is amazing what you're doing. Um, I mean, quarantine has been, I guess, for me, I guess it's been as good as a quarantine could be (laughs) like I know I have a lot of friends and family you know who are like you know got hit pretty hard and you know lost jobs and are you know the whole you know I'm hearing the horror stories of even just trying to get unemployment and so I'm fortunate fortunately I'm my day job is uh, uh, DreamWorks I work at DreamWorks and um, I'm in coincidentally I work in the international dubbing department so I deal with all of the foreign language uh handling of the shows but they did a good job in kind of transitioning everybody 100 percent to be working from home so i totally lucked out on that so i'm like thankful that i have i'm i still have a job during this time uh you know it's it's given me less stress and more of a time to like uh recalibrate and just kind of you know reevaluate in terms of you know what's important and just kind of getting back to you know the basics in terms of health and self-sustainability i think a lot of people you know talking to a lot of people you know it's it's the same you know in terms of this time has given us these moments to kind of reflect so it's it's been it's been a lot of that but just thankfully you know with with an ongoing income <laughs> so kind of been my my thing just you know staying in staying safe and just hoping that this you know this is over in the next year i don't know yeah definitely yeah. crossing our fingers yeah. i know you know we're already not even our our office is like nobody's coming in until 2021 at least so oh, 2020 wow. i mean this year is done for us in terms of going back to the office. So I'm just trying to see <laughs> what, what I could do and maybe try to go back to Hawaii. That would be ideal, but they kind of strict over there. So we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Um, I, yeah, first, before we, we've got a lot to talk about today. Yeah. So, super excited for all the issues that we're going to discuss. But before getting into all of those questions, would you mind just introducing yourself to the listeners? And you can, you know, mention your name, where you're from, where you currently live, uh, what your career is, slash where you work, um, racial, ethnic identity, and really anything else you want to share with the listeners. Okay. So, my name is, I'm, my name is Conrad Lihili. I'm a native Hawaiian filmmaker. I'm actually, I'm mixed with a bunch of things. Uh, everybody in Hawaii is 
mixed with a bunch of things and I'm Hawaiian, Filipino, Okinawan, uh, a lot of those, uh, which, which seems to be pretty typical of a Hawaii mix. But uh, from Hawaii, went to high school there, uh, went away to college at the University of Washington and uh, studied practically everything there and just didn't really like anything <laughs> until, but everything kept on going back to film. Like those were always things that I enjoyed, but you know, uh, the arts isn't really, in, in Hawaii, I mean, even now, the arts really isn't something that you're uh, encouraged to go for. So it was really never a choice of mine until really late, but I ended up creating my own uh, major. Uh, we, we were able to do that. And uh, when I found that out, I kind of got all my ethnic studies classes together and all my film classes together. And I proposed, you have to propose it to uh, like a board. And I proposed uh, Pacific Islanders in film. And then they came back to me and they were like, oh no, that's too specific. And then I didn't change anything about my proposal, but I just changed the title to Ethnic Identities in Film, and they accepted that. So it was kind of interesting, but that's, so that I got my degree in that, and my, um, my final, like, oh, what's the word? Oh my God, it's been so long. Not my dissertation, but like my dissertation, like the, the you know, that last, that last big project, it was, I remember it was supposed to be like close to a hundred page thing on uh, the misrepresentation of Pacific Islanders in media, specifically film. And then I started to write it. And I remember like 20 pages in, I'm thinking like, yo, I'm gonna, I'm just complaining for seven, I'm just gonna be complaining for 70 pages. Like this is gonna be the most irritating to write and to read thing. And then, so I was able to talk my professor who was overseeing it, that project. I was able to talk him down to a script. So I wrote a script for my final project. Because so the idea behind that was all like, okay, these are movies we know done it wrong. Let me write something actually from our perspective. And then, so like he was, I was able to get away with that, which was like, in hindsight, is a great idea, but I was just lazy because the format of an essay is way different than a script. Like, you know, it's like double spaced. And I talked him down to, oh, let me just give you the first act, which is like 20 pages. <laughs> so I was like, I talked it down from a 70 page essay to a 20 page script. <laughs> uh, but it, it turned out pretty good. And, you know, it, it did the job. And so, my, uh, I graduated with ethnic identities in film and I didn't know what to do with that. You know, it, it was in Seattle. So I was living in Seattle. So there wasn't any really projects or anything in terms of the film world. I just didn't know anything about that, but I knew it was something I wanted to get into. Uh, so, but my first job out of college was uh, uh, at Microsoft. And so I, I worked there for a year as attempt to hire. And as my contract was ending, my manager uh, took me to uh, took me to lunch, and she was all like, "You know, I want to make I want to recommend you to be staff because your contract's ending. So 
you know, where do you want to go? You don't have to be in this department, but I'll, I, I could recommend you to another department. And I was like, yo, is there a creative? Because I was in the law department and it was so boring and tedious. And uh, I was like, is there anything creative, like a department that's creative that you could recommend me to, like the Xbox department or something? Like, do they need writers? I don't know. And then she goes, oh, yeah, you, you graduated in film. Let me link let me connect you to my sister and it turns out it turned out that her sister was the assistant director her sister was the assistant director for the tv show the office so um like she put us into contact yeah and i was like that's my favorite show (laughs) and uh she she put us into contact and her sister was like yeah you know if you're serious in the career in the film industry move to la like don't take don't stay at Microsoft, move down to LA, figure out a way to, to come down here and I'll get you on the show. Like as a PA, she was like, the, the money's horrible and the hours are worse, but it's your foot in the door. So I did that. And then I, I declined the contract or the staff position. And then I moved down with like $100. And then, uh, yeah, kind of made it work. And just, you know, got into the gig game, luckily early through that. And so uh, I worked on a bunch of different shows through there. And then I got into post-production. I moved on to, from Seattle to LA in 2008, August, 2008. And then uh, I just kind of went back and forth between production and post-production. And then, everything kind of just fell in place into post-production. Amazing. Thank you. We're, we're already getting into the good stuff. I'm really excited. Um, you, you covered a lot of your background already, and you briefly mentioned your college experience and how being in Hawaii, you were never encouraged to pursue the arts or film necessarily. But I was also wondering, did you always know that you wanted to be specifically a director and a filmmaker? And why did those specific art forms speak to you as opposed to other visual media? And also, like, how do you feel like your upbringing in Hawaii and your experience in college influenced your creativity? Well, uh, back, yeah, no, growing up in Hawaii, uh, you definitely, like the arts, is definitely not encouraged uh it there's there's a lot of like macho-ness and go you know there's a lot of like island small town it's very you know like small town it's like growing up i would imagine it's like growing up with in any small town you know across this uh like in the midwest where it's like uh you know you, you kind of stay you have your group of friends and you get you know everybody gets married after high school and you know you marry your high school sweetheart and start the family and you work in the local industry and and the local industry in Hawaii is uh tourism and military so growing up that's kind of (laughs) or construction so uh, because you know they're constantly building hotels and condos and (laughs) all this stuff um everything centered around those and, and military installations. So Hawaii, unfortunately, yes, it's beautiful and stuff, but it's heavily, the tourism industry is 
huge and it's heavily militarized. So the, and the, the next um, industry under that is construction because it needs to build all of these things. And so those are pretty much growing up in Hawaii. Those are almost the three things that you have to look forward to. Like my dad, my dad used to always tell me, uh, you know, study hard or else you're going to end up joining the military or dancing for the tourists. <laughs> you know, be like, and uh, so like, even though, you know, he went to community college later on in life, but uh, I, I was the first person in my family to go right out, out of high school. And so I didn't really have like that kind of general study hard, you know, it is, was a, about as much of the guidance that I had academically, you know, on paper, I went to a private school, but that private school was like the community college of private schools in Hawaii. It was, you know, if you could, if you could afford it, you could go, there was no like entrance exams, like, but on paper, it was like a private school. <laughs> so it, it was like, it was like, I, I definitely think that that helped me get into the, but uh, there was, yeah, there was no really arts programs. Uh, I remember not even, I, like college wasn't in the picture at all for me. Like I didn't, I, there wasn't anybody in my family to kind of model myself after. And uh, like even when I started to get letters from football from like smaller schools and I, I remember I would get them and I threw a couple of them away because I was my mind was like why I'm, I'm almost done why do I want to go four more years like that sounds horrendous <laughs> but uh so it, like it it really wasn't in like the cards for me I ended up going to University of Washington because of a girl which ended up like totally working, not working out with the girl, but totally working out <laughs> long term, you know what I mean? Which was like, normally I'd be like, don't do any major decisions over like a significant other or like, you know, or over a girl. But that one was <laughs> the only thing, positive thing. But um, that, that got me to college. And it, because I was the first to go, uh, the, the lack I, I shouldn't say the lack of guidance because there was the lack of guidance there, there was support but the lack of guidance allowed me to just try different things uh because even my when I got there my freshman year I didn't know what to uh I didn't know what to major in I I kind of briefly said I wanted to do film or something creative when I before I left but I remember I mean just because of how Hawaii is, you know, my dad wasn't down for that. You know, he thought that that was stupid. And, but I, I was just like, oh, it's a good school. I figure it out. You know, University of Washington is, I'm sure they have some programs I could find. So I, you know, I go up there and my dad's like, you're a full-time student. You, you have no excuses not to take the most hardest classes available for you. <laughs> and then uh, with that, I was just like, oh, I, I guess so, you know, <laughs> whatever. I tried that and being in Seattle, Microsoft, computer, you know, computer programming. So I, I took the CSE, the computer science, uh, what's that, prereqs. 
And then I finished, I hated it. And I was just like, what the, I'm not going to pro sit and program for the rest of my life. <laughs> and then so, but I already had all those prereqs of like, you know, programming and math and physics. And I was just like, okay, I, I don't want to do computer science. What's the next thing I could use with these classes? And I was like, okay, electrical engineering. So I did all the prereqs for electrical engineering. I added that. And then I didn't want to do that. And then I switched to ME, mechanical engineering. And then I, sw- after I did all that. And then after that, I didn't want to do, after I didn't want to do that, I switched to, uh, I was dating a girl who was trying to be a, she wanted to be a pharmacist. So she was taking all this OCHEM and bio classes. And I didn't go into sciences yet. I was like, you know, programming and math and stuff and physics. So because she was in those classes, I did all those prereqs. Uh, and and in, and meanwhile, like I'm also doing like the psychology and the philosophy and uh, like all like the fun kind of just reading. Well, because I was walking onto the football team too. So like those, and this is this this is a reason why you look. I, I'm like so, I am so much support for like the student athlete because I understand how hard it is to balance that schedule. It's ridiculous. They're not student athletes. They're athlete student for sure like the school doesn't care about athletes uh academics but that's another conversation <laughs> but uh but doing during those quarters when i was walking onto the football team like i could you, you can't take like a math or, or you can but it, it's pretty much it's so hard because like a math or a physics class like those classes even if you understand it, it's like word problem, it's repetition, you know, it takes like an hour to do three. So that's, that's why you see a lot of athletes major in the reading, you know, like where you could just go, you understand, and you don't have, it's not repetitious, it's like con- concepts. It's like the philosophy, yeah, that athlete majored in philosophy or that athlete majored in ethnic studies. It's like, yeah, because that's the only thing that could fit in the ridiculous schedule. So like that's when I started to take all like the ethnic studies classes and all the Asian American studies classes. And then we had um, a Pacific Islander uh, professor uh, from the University of Hawaii teach classes at, at University of Washington. And his class was all about representation, representation of Pacific Islanders in media and film specifically Pacific Islanders. And that, that was kind of, that class was kind of a light bulb moment to kind of like focus. Cause I was just like, oh I, yeah, I'm taking all these, these ethnic studies classes and these, you know, you're taking AFRAM and you're taking AES and you're taking, you know what I mean? Like, uh, but it was finally something, oh, about the Pacific. And that was kind of, that was cool to me. Um, but, uh, I, was, I remember going into my fifth year and nev- not taking any summers off. Like I had done a full load every quarter and I was going into my fifth year and I still didn't declare anything. But I had all these prereqs. Like I, I've, I was going into my fifth year, like I could have like, like open draft, you know, like I could have <laughs> like picked any major, but I was just like, fuck, I don't want to do anything. Like what? And then I had, um, I remember having a conversation with my mom and uh, she had asked me, she, she goes, well, what do you want to do? 
And I was like, I realized that was the first time anybody asked me that question. And then I was just like, oh, well, if that's the case, <laughs> then I'm gonna do film. And then so that's when I kind of like realized that, oh, E-Dub could, uh, you know, you could propose your own major. And I was like, cause I don't want to like, they were just starting when I was going into my fifth year, they were just starting their new digital arts program, which was all like the hands-on editing and camera, like the cool USC shit. <laughs> and then, uh, but I was like, I'm, I'm not going to only start the 101 classes now going into my fifth year. Like, and I've already, I was already at that point in time, me and going into my fifth year, me and my uh, group of friends, we found out that we could uh, borrow camera equipment from the library. And so we would do that for free. And so we would do that and we would shoot sketches with each other and then just go to each other's houses and drink and watch them <laughs> and just crack up. <laughs> and and th this was before YouTube, you know? And so uh, we, we're, we were doing that. So going into my fifth year, I was like, I already know how, that I could teach myself how to shoot and I taught myself how to edit. So I, I don't, let me just like get out you know, make my own major and then try to get into the film industry somehow. Um, another question that I have for you is when you were going through college and sort of starting your career in Los Angeles, were there any events or projects that you worked on that inspired you to want to focus on particular content that you wanted to direct and create? Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. I'm also wondering if you ever felt like Hollywood or other filmmakers, I don't know, just like that industry, the entertainment industry in general, ever just tried to put a Polynesian stereotype on you? Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was playing a bunch of stereotypes. Uh, like, well, actually, when I first moved to L.A., so when I first moved to L.A., I was acting. Actually, I was acting more uh, than, than doing behind this. Like, I moved down to do uh, to work on the show, The Office. So I was doing that. But then I was also on my off days. I was uh, doing like extra work. Uh, so I was like, you know, in different shows. You know, the the, the people in the background who are like out of focus. <laughs> like I was doing that work. It's like easy money. You do that. Um, but I had. Uh, I knew I had enjoyed acting. Like I, I was uh, in speech and debate in high school, not the debate part, but the speech part. And so that kind of actually tickled my acting bug. Like that's how I kind of got that acting bug. Cause it was, it, which it, it was a weird thing. Cause the, the way I even got into speech and debate was my junior year in high school, I was waiting for football practice to start. And I hear people yelling like in the hallway and I'm like, I start following the yelling and I see people practicing their pieces in the hallway. And I don't know if like you're familiar with the speech and debate, like, uh, but it's, it's pretty much like the speech part is just competitive acting. Like you, uh, you practice a monologue and then you practice that monologue in front of judges and they judge you on your acting. It's such a, it's a weird thing. 
and and your piece has to be the challenge is your piece have to has to be like of course acted good and memorized like be off book but uh it has to be as close to 10 minutes without going over so you're judged on that too so this is you're you're memorizing hefty pieces and so like i i found that waiting for football practice and i i was cool with the teacher who was the coach and when i go up to the teacher and i'm like what are you guys doing <laughs> why are these people yelling and he's all like oh you guys were you know states is coming up you know we're trying to you know we're getting ready for states and i was like yo they suck <laughs> i was like i was like they, they're not they're, this guy's overacting and he goes uh well conrad if you think you can do better you know he, he, he hands me a script and he was all like you know the tournament is this weekend so if you want to do it and i i took that as a challenge and i ended up memorizing it in a week and i qualified for states and it was like, but just the process was so fun to me. And that was kind of like, oh, shoot, I like acting. That's so interesting. So, but it kind of like um, little things started to put together, like started to connect the dots uh, with things like when I was really young, I was the kid that my parents gave the camera to when at family functions to like walk around. And so like I was that kid or I was like, the kid who would run in front of the camera and like do you know any kind like that and then i joined speech and debate and then uh and what solidified that was the girl that i went to college with because she was in speech and debate and then she because she was in a play i auditioned for the play and then i got that play and then that it was like oh i like doing plays oh shit. <laughs> i like performing and then, uh, like I even, oh, I did all the drama prereqs in college, so I could I could have majored majored in drama, you know. So, so when I got to LA, I was like, okay, cool, I have these skills that I'm just equally below average at, <laughs> like editing and acting is all kind. Of, I'm all starting from the bottom and everything, so let me just try both, and whatever takes off takes off. And uh, so I was like going out on auditions and all the auditions that I was going out with was all like either Filipino or uh, if it was Latino roles, I had to do an accident, which was horrible. But I would get sent out on all these, just do these ethnic uh, accent things, uh, uh, auditions. And uh, I, whenever it was something Pacific Islander, you know, they were they would look they would be looking for the the stereotypical big Samoan. So all the Pacific Islander roles were like just big Samoan type, big Samoan type, Afro big Samoan type, and I'm like, I'm you know, I'm not that, so I'm not going out for Pacific Islander roles, and uh, the Hawaiian stuff was all just. Uh, I quickly realized that they weren't looking for Hawaiian stuff. They were looking for what Hollywood thing is Hawaii. So it was just, I, I would see, and I would see the same people at these auditions. You know, it was like tanned Asian actors who never been to Hawaii, but they're trained in, so they could get the commercial and they could, you know what I mean? So I was just like, okay, well, I'm not going to win this because they're not looking for Hawaiian. They're looking for 
you know, what they want to portray as. So that going on these auditions, like audition after audition after audition, seeing you is, that's when I was just like, you know what, that's where I saw very early that the problem is behind the camera, like what everybody's talking about now in terms of getting the representation in the writer's room, getting the representation behind the camera, having us tell the stories rather than us just being the props for, you know, someone else's, not even someone else's stories, but someone else's interpretations of our stories, you know? So I felt that being a writer director would be more valuable. And I was just like, oh, and I could just put myself in stuff. Easy. (laughs) I was like, uh, you know, I I could just do that. So I, I started to do that with the comedy sketch stuff. I met a guy from uh, Hawaii Island, from the Big Island, who's out here. Super talented guy, musician, actor, you know, writer, painter. Um, but we started a comedy channel together just to like start, just so we could start making stuff and putting our stuff in things. And that kind of just is how we built our crew and the people that we shoot with. And then that led to our, our short films and then so you know we got we started doing the comedy with the comedy and the short films we were exploring more like uh horror and supernatural horror because i i i love horror is one of my favorite genres and especially when you come to i think like some of the best horror is like not american horror to me it's like the asian horror or the like even indian horror is great like the, just because I feel like the horror comes from a cultural place instead of like oh the slasher is coming and you know everything you you can't defeat the ghosts like only in U.S. movies you defeat the ghosts because you brought them back a jacket that they were missing in the afterlife. It's like no no you go to the Philippines you can't defeat the ghosts <laughs> like that's like there for you forever like and that's horrifying you know so I like that cultural and I think that that's why. A lot of the movies, the horror films from uh, overseas don't translate when, they, when the U.S. tries to do it because they take away every the heart. They take away the culture of what, uh, which is very U.S. to do. But, no, it's very, but, uh, but they take away that, <laughs> that, that what makes that film, you know, the heart of it. Uh, and so I, a lot of the Pacific a lot of the horror films that I've been kind of wanting to do and I'm starting to gear towards is kind of uh, is taking that model because there's, you know, the islands and the, the, the stories in the Pacific, you know, there's some, there's some good stuff there. So uh, I've got the, some horror stuff that, I mean, you could find on YouTube and then more recently a bigger, short film that I'm re- not I'm not releasing this year but it's making its premiere at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival this year is um a film called The Mainland and it's like a comic com- it's a comedy uh following an actor from Hawaii who's just having the worst day of his life and kind of navigating this the the politics of ethnic ambiguity in Hollywood and uh, his, his, his small country, his small, small town cousin unexpectedly drops in from Hawaii. And now he has to 
bring his unfiltered, never been to the States cousin around in Hollywood. And so uh, that, that's, uh, and, and he, in that process, he kind of teaches the main character what it's like to, you know, live with Aloha and Ohana again. Cause I feel like, especially in LA, you could lose sight on that in a city like this, you know, in terms of leading with your heart. And so like that, uh, that, that film is, yeah, world, world premiere at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival this year. I believe the screenings, they're gonna do online screenings this year because of COVID like in like November. I'm not sure, I'd have to look that up. But yeah, uh, but yeah the, the projects just kind of evolved that way. And then um, the doc, which leads us to the doc, the doc, Language of a Nation, is my first doc. And yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's, that's really cool to hear how your career and your content have evolved over time. And I'm definitely really excited to watch and plug your short film when it comes out. Um, and also, as for the docuseries, we are definitely going to go more in detail uh, with that later on because there's definitely a lot to discuss with that. Um, but before getting into that really cool project with the Smithsonian, I wanted to talk about the use of the term AAPI and the article that you wrote back in 2017, Dear Asian Americans Stop Erasing Pacific Islanders, um, in which you talk about, as the title suggests, how, for example, Polynesian culture is being negated and taken away by Asian Americans and the problems of conflating Asian communities and stories with Pacific Islander communities and stories. And I'll include the link to the article in the episode description wherever you're listening so that everyone can find it and read it because to the listeners, like you guys should really, really read this. And I briefly talked about the circumstances in which I read the article and and uh, what what it made me think about. Uh, at the beginning of this episode, but I thought it would be great to also get some background on your article and your opinions on how Asian Americans are erasing Pacific Islanders. So what sparked the inspiration slash desire to write this article in the first place? Um, what kinds of responses did you get from your article? And I mean, let's just let's just also get into a conversation about the term AAPI. What are your thoughts on the term? Like hit me with your with your opinions on that. Uh, uh, around the time, I'd say 2015, during the summers, I was, during, during the year, I was editing for a TV show. And then when we went on hiatus during the summer, I was teaching uh, creative and performing arts summer camp to high school students at Occidental College. And so between teaching and editing, uh, I don't know how my name got, and, and I would do like, you know, like a short film a year and I'd do like the film festival circuit type of thing. And I, I also would do comedy sketch stuff, like Hawaii centric comedy sketch on YouTube. And then for whatever reason, around this time, I uh, got reached out to by uh, blog, uh, Reappropriate which posted that article that I wrote. 
and they kind of reached out to me. I think at the time, what was also going on was like Moana was just was just coming out, and um, there was all this controversy with uh, there was a film being produced by a, a production company from UK about a story in Hawaii about that took place during World War II, and the main hero, the the main Native Hawaiian, was being well, the guy who got cast as that main part was uh, the, one of the main actors from Vikings, like this white dude. And so there was all this controversy around that. And so that, like all of that was going on. And so this reappropriate that this uh, blog uh, reached out to me amongst all of that. And it was, uh, was kind of like, hey, Native Hawaiian director, what do you <laughs> think of... <laughs> You know, with Moana coming out and this thing, this Nihau movie coming out and the miscasting, like, what is your take on all of this representation about Asian Pacific Islanders? And then so, like, the first bit of that article was, I mean, and you've read it, it's kind of just like, okay, yeah, it's like a, you know, I kind of briefly talk about the movie, but then it quickly, as, as I was writing it, it quickly just became like, but let's unpackage API because you're coming at me with like, this is a very loaded question in terms of like in my, in my eyes, you know, in terms of your, uh, what do I think of the state of Asian Pacific Islander representation in, you know, films. And so the, the article just kind of came from that. And it was, uh, I admit, like, there's a lot of emotion behind of it, behind it. And uh, I probably wasn't as, uh, like, from talking with two people, I, I, I probably could have maybe been more uh, soft with some of the things I said. But I, I, I wouldn't change anything because I just felt that, uh, or I just, I feel that it's just a topic that's very, you know, one-sided in terms of conversation. And I, I got a lot of negative feedback because like people would look me up and be like, oh, well, he looks Filipino. And I'm like, yeah, I'm Filipino, but I'm Hawaiian and Okinawan. I, I, I feel like if anything, I, I've pretty, I feel pretty qualified in terms of growing up in the Polynesian space and the Asian space to hear these these conversations and seeing that it's very one-sided in terms of the use and even understanding of Asian and Pacific Islander. Like it, it, for the most part in the Pacific Islander community, it's API isn't really used. It, it definitely comes from the Asian American community mostly, I, what I've seen and even more specifically, Amer it's an American because it's like an Asian American Pacific Island. Like there's, you know, it's, I, I, if, if it's used, it's definitely not really used. Like in, if you go to New Zealand, they know the difference between like Maoris and Asians are not conflated or Samoans, you know what I mean? It's a very, but in the U.S. for whatever reason, well, I mean, we know it in terms of historically, it was uh, the, the two, the communities came together behind the civil rights movement, which was a beautiful thing. And then, you know, uh, 
it, it just kind of started to be reflected in the census in the 90s and that's kind of how we've kind of just ran with that but now in this age of representation especially when it comes to media and stories and films i just felt that it, i needed to write that to show how problematic it is in terms of in, like in one breath we're saying tell your own stories and represent your culture and through your stories and in that same breath it's like no but you're not pacific islander you're with your asian which is like i get when we were doing it to back up the civil rights movement and to come together for certain things but then when you look into like um the numbers of you know when, when we look into monies being acclimated to programs and these social issues when it comes to, into that type of thing then it kind of gets even a bit more problematic because you have like uh like how, how we were talking about earlier, we had uh, my the, the Smithsonian, my Smithsonian contact. One of his big projects is he's he or one of his recent projects, I should say, was he looked up in like the top X amount of API organizations in the U.S. I, I forget how many of the top organizations, but it was altogether it was out of 155 board members in the top uh api organizations and that includes the smithsonian and that includes apac uh there was only four out of 155 pacific islanders you know in terms of board members and and then when you it, so if we're talking about okay we're if we're 50 percent of that acronym then let's talk about the representation and then let's talk about like really get into because the even the, the stories be behind how you know the communities are even a part of the u.s is you know different in many ways you know on one side it's an immigration story and on another side it's very much an occupation story you know you look at guam american samoa you look at hawaii those are you know occupied uh, occupied there are those are occupied uh countries you know they're not immigration stories so that kind of gets lost in the mix too and so uh it, it was just a lot of things that is kind of like you know i could see from the pacific islander side the almost like we understand the unity but don't not at the expense of stepping on everything too you know and so uh i i just think like that awareness just needs to be needed to be addressed and i think because of that moment of all of those things coming in during that time or happening during the time when i was asked to write that article i think it was almost like a culmination of all of that which made that article so uh eye-catching you know but yeah that that's kind of how that article came about and i answered i wrote it put it out there and the response was crazy in terms of you you saw even more the divide because on all the response from the pacific islander community was overwhelmingly positive like thank you thank you like it was thank you for finally saying this thank you because i've been yelling this for so like thank you and from the asian american side it was you're just trying to divide us. You're just like, why do you hate us? What do you, 
like do you think you're too cool to be a part of and i was just like no it's that had nothing to do with any of it is just something that obviously you didn't under you weren't seeing that side of the com- conversation but i'm being half i'm seeing both sides of that conversation and we just need to address this before i don't know it something it leads to something negative you know <laughs> you know so let's just write an article about it so that at least you know there's a conversation uh i mean because even even off of the basis of like i'm sure you've been to i'm sure you've been to uh an api event right you've been i feel yeah. i feel like at this point in time especially in college you've been to we've all been to api events how many i always ask people like when think of all, all the api events you've been to and how many samoans have you seen tongans Fijians, Maoris, Chamorros, you know, Pompeii, like you could, you could, you could rattle off so many Pacific Islanders, but they're never there. And they're, I don't know if it's not, I've only been there because I'm Filipino. I've only been to those events and that's about as Pacific Islander as those events get, unfortunately. Uh, But you, you kind of see that representation. And then in those spaces, the only time the Pacific Islander is brought in is during the celebration. Oh, look, Jason Momoa is a Pacific Islander. Oh, The Rock is an API. It's all these celebrations. But where were you on, at Standing Rock? Where, were you, where, where, where is that celebration or that unity? Like when on Mauna Kea, you know, uh, because it's like the Pacific Islanders, it, it's, it's a very indigenous, aboriginal you know culture and so uh it's kind of like oh it's kind of it's just kind of a weird conflation you know to see from the middle you know no yeah definitely you 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 bring up a lot of really great points um and you touched on a lot in your article just now but i do have a couple of questions um so first, when I was doing research for this episode, I came across all of these different scholars and political scientists um, bringing up different pros and cons for the use of the term AAPI. And on one hand, there were people saying that Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders have different shared experiences with you know, for example, colonialism and racial hierarchies and power structures, and also, you know, for the sake of solidarity and community reasons um, for, you know, to have different pan-racial, pan-ethnic social movements. The term AAPI was also important. Um, But then on the other hand, you have the term AAPI bringing up problems with not giving enough attention to Pacific Islanders and their stories and also their economic needs too, which is something that's really important to think about. Um, But I guess when you were receiving all of these different responses to your article from all of these Asian Americans and also possibly different Pacific Islanders, did you 
find any compelling reasons as to why this term AAPI can slash should be used? Or, or are you just like anti the term AAPI all the way? I'm not necessarily anti. Because I'm, I'm, I, I understand how it came together and why it's used. But so if it's used, I mean, it's ideally it'd be nice for people to understand the difference and understand why it's, but I'm not anti like, no, it should never be used. It should, like, I don't want that, those letters put together, not even my alphabet soup. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want, <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's just like, you know, it, it, like how I was telling you, it's kind of like the word hapa. Like it's, uh, I, it's not that I don't want it to not be used because you know tradition traditionally hapa was the word hapa it was used to denote hawaiian and mixed with something you know hapa holly hawaiian white you know hapa you know japanese hapa chinese hapa but it was like the hawaiian base and then now it's it's evolved to asian you know so it's like on one side of me it's just like ah oh, it's another that's another point of erasure but on another the other side of me i feel proud because it that word is like a sanctuary for mixed asians who didn't have anything else to identify with you know and they you they see the word hapa as something that they could connect with and i'm like oh that's that's a beautiful thing that's what more like yeah the the literal translation is lost but like the usage of it is still so hawaiian in terms of its in, its inclusiveness so I, I try to stay inclusive in that thought and it's and it all comes down to it's just like you could use it but if it's used ignorantly then i'll probably say something or you know have issue but if we understand uh where it comes from and how it's used and the nuance of it. I think, I feel like nuance is lost in a lot in today's society. And uh, as long as we understand the nuances, then of course we could keep on using it because the positives are evident in terms of, you know, coming together for the louder voice, but th that's why we came together during the civil rights movement. That's, but it's evolved into, it's, we're so far from the civil rights movement. I feel that people forgot that original thing. And because it shows up on census as together, now it becomes the same thing. And now we start creating these organizations like, okay, now we're all together. We forgot why we came together in the first place. But, you know, but now the conflation has kind of muddled everything. I, I, and it's just like, you know, I'm not trying to separate, but just remind you that, you know, we're all trying to, you know, represent <laughs> you know we are trying to represent yeah uh but uh so that like the main like so that to go back to your question in terms of pushback and in terms of reasons uh there i mean there were there were some reasons that i could see people trying uh it, but it was kind of like in the back of my mind i was just kind of like oh that's like you you took a you you took an AES one hundred and one class. That's cute. Like <laughs> in the back of my mind, it was like that because they're like making valid points. But it was just like, you really think about like one thing that kept on coming up in the comments was the Austronesian migration path, the Austronesian uh, path, 
And then it's just like, yeah, it shows that connection from the Pacific to Asia. But then, you know, the root of the conversation is we're talking about conflating culture in contemporary and, and contemporary culture. Like if we're going to put a statute of liberty, if we're not going to put a statute of limitations on what we're defining as, you know, our culture, then screw, screw this whole thing. We're all you know, but we've kind of have, we kind of now have this subliminal, not subliminal, but this unconscious, subconscious understanding of culture and in contemporary culture, how far does it go back? You know, like, what are we counting as, you know, because even when, how we were talking about earlier, uh, even Asian, that term, that even that umbrella term is kind of broad. You know, you were talking about, like, how west do you go? How north do you go? Because that's Asia's a big, big place, and then so and we're lump and and now we want to lump Pacifica into that too. Like that's that's a crazy that's a lot, you know. So uh, there yeah there are people bringing up the Austronesian uh, pathway, and I was just like, oh, I don't want to deal with that because it's like that. Yes, but then we're African too, because like how far are we going back, you know? So there was that, and then there was uh, what man? What else was there? Uh, I mean, there was a lot of like, well, well, he looks Filipino, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, I am. That's kind of why. And oh, I did get an in one interesting one that I that I got was because I'm because I'm Filipino now. There's another dial. Uh, there's even more a more interesting nuanced discourse going on in the Filipino community because of this whole thing in terms of uh, are you or are we like are we Asian or are we Pacific Islander? You know, if you talk have a conversation with a lot of Filipinos, you'll you'll see that there's you know some like I know my family is split up, you know, like some just say we're Asian, others say that we're Pacific Islander. Some like I easily go back and forth. I really don't I'm fine with that. But um there's a divide in that. And it's, it's like, it stems from like, I feel like conflating. And of course, uh, the, the, the tragic history of, you know, the, of the Philippines and like, you know, all of that stuff doesn't help with conflating all the history. But uh, I, in the article, I mentioned that, you know, when I was kind of break, even breaking it down to Asian, Pacific Islander, just the words itself. You have, you know, Asian Pacific Islander, here's Asia, here's Pacific Island, the, the Pacific Islands. And somewhere in the middle, the only ethnic group that's kind of in the middle, that's kind of like, am I Asian or am I Pacific Islander, are, is the Filipino community. And I know that because I've had so many conversations with family and friends on this. And after the article came out, I had, uh, somebody that I knew just start uh, like attacking me about like, why are you throwing the Filipino community under the bus? And like, it was a weird thing. Cause I was just like, I don't feel like I'm just pointing out that this is an even another level of confusion. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus. Like, like you, we all know that we're Filipino, bro. We know that this conversation happened behind closed doors. Don't make like I'm saying, something crazy out in these streets you know so uh like that that was probably one of the more weird feedbacks um but for the most part like it was 
it was split kind of more or less down the middle. And then you had like um, a lot of uh, my Asian friends who kind of got it. And it was like, oh yeah, I didn't have no idea. And they were kind of sharing the article too. So you, you see that, but um, in terms of like, yeah, no, compelling arguments against, mainly it was just like, oh, you're just trying to divide us. And you know, you're just trying to like the, the Austronesian cycle or, 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 or there was one where it was just like, you know, well, all of these constructions are just colonized constructions. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, I mean, we're, well, one, we're speaking English right now. So like, what words should we use if, you know what I mean? I was just like, that's such a weird, uh, but it, it was a response is more or less like that. Like, cause I was, cause he was, this person was uh, specifically re referring to like, when I was like Polynesia, Micronesia, Melanesian, and he was just like, yeah, well, these are just colonized Where you know, these are all, and I was just like, yeah, so am I, are we gonna go down like, well, so is like the word Asian, and so is the word like, where are we really gonna have this debate here? <laughs> so, so it was just like a lot of that, and that's what kind of made me stop reading the comments. Cause that's when I was just like, oh, okay, these guys, that's what I was just like, oh, maybe they took like a AES 101 and <laughs> like heard some terms and was like, like Austronesian. And <laughs> I was just like, dude, read it again. I'm not trying to, I'm just saying there's something going up. <laughs> Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, when you were earlier, when you were saying how you felt like, you maybe have, could have been softer or whatever. I feel like, I mean, you were just saying what you felt, what you thought, like what was on your mind, what like needed to be said, um, yeah. especially when you think about the prevalence of the term now, it's just like thrown around everywhere. Like organizations mm -hmm. are like branding themselves as that. And yeah, like also, like you mentioned earlier, when it starts getting to the different economic resources that are allocated to different organizations and you think about how if you have these organizations that are proclaiming to be for aapis but they're majority represented by asian americans or majority featuring like asian americans like where are those economic resources going you know um and i think another really important thing to say is you know, we, you were talking about this um, in our pre-recording meeting, but you were saying like growing up in Hawaii, like you never used the term like AAPI, like that was just wasn't no. a thing at all, right? No, yeah, API doesn't, I've never, I never hear of it until, uh, gosh, not even really so much in college. Uh, more so I started to really hear it when I moved on to LA, LA in 08. And then uh, all of the represent the like CAPE, which is the Coalition for Asian Pacifics and Entertainment, like all the big organizations where you, uh, when I was doing my research, uh, these are the pro organizations that you need to be a part of to kind of like, you know, for, for grants and for fellowships, directing fellowships, writing fellowships in, in the communities. It's like, okay, you got the, uh, there's like the African-American programs. I was like, okay, where's the Pacific Islander programs? There are none, it's all API. And then that's when I started to really see that API uh, acronym more prevalent through the organizations. Cause I feel like maybe 
in college, it was probably there, but uh, in college, it was more like my first uh, conversation with uh, that was kind of API in when I was in college was my sophomore year. I was the uh, I was the public relations officer for the Polynesian Club. And so I was doing my office hours one day and our office was right next to the Asian club office. And so uh, a kid walks by, he looks at our, uh, he looks at our office and he like looks at the sign and he's his Polynesian club. And he looks at the Asian club sign and he's like, oh, Asian club. And he like looks at me and he's all like, what's, what's even the difference? And I was just like, I, I, I didn't know how to, I literally didn't know how to, I was, was sophomore year, I was like 19 years old, and I was just like, I don't know how to answer that question. Like what, I didn't know that question existed. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm from Hawaii. You know, the different, you know, there's a difference between Asians and, you know, Pacific Islanders. And so uh, I was, uh, we, we had a conversation and I remember walking away from that conversation like, huh, I didn't, I, like that just blew my mind. And then another thing that, that happened to me in college where I was just like, okay, it's, it, it's definitely out there, but I didn't know how or to what extent was when um, my, I was w one of the like, one of maybe four Native Hawaiians in my class, like that, that went up to University of Washington. And so we all, you know, we all kind of hung out with each other and we knew each other. And then one of my friends, uh, Christine, she was like, Christine goes, uh, hey, Conrad, did you meet the other native Hawaiian guy in the other dorms? Like he's, and I was like, no, I thought we knew all the Hawaiian guys. Like, what are you talking about? Bring them over. And then she brings them over. And we're all excited. And uh, he's like, uh, and my friend Christine, she's all like, oh, yeah, no, he says he's he's half Hawaiian. His dad's full Hawaiian. And I was just like, whoa, okay, yeah, no, bring him. Because just because of, you know, the history of Hawaii, you don't need, there's no half Hawaiians. I'm like a fourth, and that's a lot. Just because of, you know, disease and lots, you know, at one point there was only 20,000 Hawaiians in the world, you know. Uh, so finding a half one in, in the 2000s, <laughs> I was just like, bring him over. And then uh, he comes over and like, it, we're talking to him and then his la we're, we're trying to figure it out and uh, his last name is Nguyen. And we're like, that's odd because I think that like, if it's your dad, then your dad would want you to have the last name because there's no full Hawaiian left. There's no full Hawaiians left. So that full Hawaiian, I'm sure, would want to carry on his last name. So I was like, is your mom's last name Nguyen? And he's like, no, my dad's last name is Nguyen. And I was like, wait, so your dad, how's your dad full Hawaiian, but his last name is Nguyen? Like, and he's, is he live in Hawaii right now? And he was like, no, my dad's, his dad went to high school in Hawaii. His dad is, uh, but born and raised in Texas. And he was going around telling this kid he's full Hawaiian. And, I, and that, that just blew my mind. Like, I, I remember it was, it was a weird thing to me because I never knew that existed. And 
I did. I was just like, oh, I was so. I remember being so angry. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. I didn't understand that I would get angry over something like that. But yeah, it's just like, oh no, my last name is Nguyen. Oh, my dad. My dad's last name is Nguyen, and my mom's Vietnamese, but he went, you know, to high school in Hawaii, and <laughs> and I was just like, that's so odd. And he was like, you but your dad's not Hawaiian, then. Your dad sounds Vietnamese. That's a that's not a Hawaiian last name. And he's like, are you calling my dad a liar? And he just got through this whole hostile conversation. I was just like, oof, okay, never mind. I don't know. <laughs> and, but I remember years later, I was just like, oh my God, I wish now that I'm equipped to like have a conversation, I just, oh, I wish I could totally find that dude and like talk to him now. <laughs> yeah. I'm so curious as to what, but but I mean you see that happening a lot in Ho- in Hawaii anyway in terms of people are now starting putting Native Hawaiian on their birth certificates to uh, to get funding and stuff to get access to programs in Hawaii. I mean there's levels to this so but it, it was just kind of uh, nipping that big one in the bud. <laughs> But yeah, th- those two things happened my sophomore year in college. And then, you know, you just kind of have the the rest of the outlook is just like, yeah, nobody knows anything about the Pacific. Like, yeah, Hawaiian is pineapples. Yeah, yeah. Hula hula, luau party. You know, it's just a very, like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then moving to, to L.A., and seeing that, oh, the power and control of the narrative is API, and that uh, leans and prefers Asian stories. And so it's problematic on just in the media standpoint and, and uh, in terms of the representation. And then, like we were talking about the economics, when we're talking about programs and scholarship and funds and if it's if x amount of funds is only going to be allocated to the api community then that's not seen, the pacific islander community is not seeing that and then when you look at the numbers in terms of mortality rate because it's a a, a story of occupation and not immigration uh you look at the mortality rate and disease rate and education rate in the Pacific Islander community versus the Asian community, and it is a huge difference. And then so that and the lack of resources is just kind of frustrating. And then on top of that, the media kind of just corrals this as Pacific Island API and like, you know, we don't need to pay attention to anything else Pacific Islander other than the, the exotic to prop up the exotic, which is, I mean, story of our life in terms of culture you know like so it, it's just one of those things where it's like oh even it, it feels like okay yeah it's one thing yeah we expect that from white people <laughs> you know like on, on a degree it's just like yeah i grew up in the tourism like around the tourism industry i expect that like you're gonna come and we're gonna sell the pineapple and sell the the dance and the hula hula and all that stuff but coming from the community that's supposed to be on our behalf and like we're all in this for representation that that was that's kind of frustrating like 
Like when when people ask me, oh, what are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm made of Hawaiian. And they're like, oh, wait, Hawaiian, what is that? Like, is that Japanese? And I was like, no, Hawaiian is Hawaiian. I mean, I am Japanese, but Hawaiian is Hawaiian. And they're just like, well, what's Hawaiian then? It's, like, oh, well, it's Pacific Islander. What's Pacific Islander? I know what API is, but what's Pacific Islander? Pacific Islander is like Samoan, Tongan. Hawaiian. I know what Samoan is. So you're, so you're Samoan? No. Like, it, it's the same conversation. It's just kind of like understand. So like Jason Momoa. Yeah, Jason, Jason Momoa. Just say Jason Momoa. <laughs> Everybody knows Jason Momoa. <laughs> But uh, yeah. Moana, Moana, Moana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's just a weird tap dance conversation. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I will post the link to your article in the episode description so that everyone can read it and yeah. think of their own thoughts about it and comment. Yeah, yeah. And trust me, it's, I like I I say it with love, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like uh, it's like how you would talk to a sibling. That's how I feel. Yeah, no, for sure. You're just speaking your mind. Yeah. You're just yeah. Hey everyone, it's Angel Rena here. Thank you so much for listening to part one of my conversation with Conrad. I hope you learned a lot and are doing some reevaluating of the term AAPI and also of common media narratives of places like Hawaii, like I am. So when I first recorded this episode, I didn't realize it was going to be a two-parter, but we just had a really great chat and Conrad has just so many stories and insights to share. So I will be releasing part two of this episode Um, in two weeks. So I'll have someone else on for next Saturday's episode, but you definitely don't want to miss part two. Conrad will be talking about his docuseries, Language of a Nation, which is about the Hawaiian kingdom and Hawaiian language and the 1896 Hawaiian language ban, and also the process of creating the docuseries and the responses he's received to it. Um, I've put the link to the first three episodes um, of his docuseries in the episode description wherever you're listening so you can watch and be prepared for our conversation in part two. But thanks again, you all, for tuning in, and I'll see you guys next Saturday with a brand new episode. Dena Igusti will be coming onto the podcast to talk about their new poetry anthology, which is super exciting. So I will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.